When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. <laughs> that was quite a greeting. Thank you. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast, Holly. Did you know we're recording now? I did. I seem to have caught you off guard. We are. I'm prepared now. Okay. Very so, good. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a little bit of leeway, a grace period. Okay. You do know we have a guest today, right? We have a guest. Guests are fun. Yes, we have, we have, we've had some great guests. And this one uh, is going to be just as great as the others we've recently had. This is a band, the Jenny thing, that has actually reformed after how many years? Like uh, like 20 years. They put out three albums between 1993 and 1999, and they have uh, released their fourth album. 20 years later. That's yeah. crazy. They get the guys back together again. So that's fun. We're going to get into all the ins and outs of what was then and what it is now. So, <laughs> What was then and what is now? Both Holly and I agree that we feel like uh, if you like our podcast, this is a band that, that you'd be interested in. We brought Matt Easton, the singer-songwriter, keyboardist, into our virtual studios. So let's get right into it on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. It's Matt Easton of The Jenny Thing. Hey Dave. Hey How Holly. are you? Doing great. How are you? Very good. good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Where are you? Are you up in the Bay Area now? Uh, yeah, I'm in Berkeley. This band formed at, at school yeah. in Berkeley. Were you on the college radio station at all? Did you do any of that stuff or was? Yeah. Well, you know, actually of all the college radio stations, the one at Cal, CalX, probably only played, played us a couple of times, but they're like particularly experimental and kind of contrarian. We, were, we were on lots of uh, other college radio stations and like a lot of the other UCs and UC Irvine and UCLA. And we would um, go down and play college shows, Southern California and South Bay and around the Bay Area. And then we'd kind of try to do the same cycle with clubs. And sometimes we'd even mix them together, you know, do lunchtime concerts during the day and then club shows at night. And this is when you were a student at Berkeley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little bit after. So during yeah. breaks? and Yeah, breaks or not breaks. I mean, we were really hyperactive. I look back and I go, wow. I mean, we, we played a ton. In, in those days. <laughs> yes, the amount of energy you have with a college student is uh, unparalleled. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to, you know, do it all and, and sort of doing it. So yeah, yeah, we, we, we had a lot of fun. And yeah, college and then clubs was kind of our thing. And college radio. You have favorite places along the way from the Bay Area down to, I guess, San Diego? Yeah, I mean, let's see. We had a lot of fun on the campuses at like UCLA, UC Irvine, Occidental, Santa Barbara, yeah, the clubs we got to, and we got to play some of the clubs that are, you know, the name clubs. We played the Roxy and the Troubadour, the Roxbury. I don't know if they still exist. That feels very 90s to me. Yeah. The Roxbury. It was 90s. I, it, it, yeah. It's still, the building is still there and it's something. I yeah. can't remember what it's called. Yeah. I remember we were so excited that Shannon Doherty from 90210 had gotten in a fist fight in front of the Roxbury, you know, some <laughs> number of months before we played there. We thought that was. Oh, that's so 90s. <laughs> Well, that's cool. So you played and played the cafeterias in uh, in many schools, I guess. Is 
Yeah, or, I mean, usually lunchtime was the thing. Like yeah, the left. Like, go play the quad. Yeah, you know, we did we did play a couple cafeterias, and then a couple like little auditorium things, and yeah, that's a tough learning experience. I mean, it's you know, you're you're playing your songs, and then <laughs> students don't know what they're they've run into. Like, oh, there's a band playing. All right, should I pay attention to them or you know, like right. you got it? You got it worked pretty well though. Actually, I mean, we we would sell dozens or even more CDs like right on the spot usually. I think maybe it was because they saw themselves in us. Mm-hmm. Yes. I imagine if we had seen you on campus at that time at, at CSUN, that, mm-hmm. uh, that we would have been into it. I mean, that would have been our thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. How much did you yeah. sell the CDs for to the kids? Oh, oh, I don't know. They must have been like 10 bucks or something. Was it still 10 bucks? Okay. No discount. Yeah, I, I don't think that's changed that much. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is everyone from Berkeley? Is this, uh, was it all like uh, through the dorm? Is that how you guys met? Right. Well, there's sort of like a very local childhood connection within the band. And then there's the sort of songwriting team, which is from Cal, from from like college times. Mm-hmm. So I actually have known Mike, the drummer, since I was zero. Our parents were friends. Yeah. yeah before we were born. And then um, we both met Aaron, the bassist in junior high. And then I, you know, I played with Mike on and off actually in various groups. We actually had like a synth pop cover band when we were in high school playing like, uh, I mean, like that group had no guitar, had had no nothing except like, you know, three or four keyboards and racks. And like, it was like pre-computer though. So there's like a sequencer running, but we were doing (laughs) like like, craft work. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Like we would go like to a, a, you know, a rally at school or like play in the quad at school. And it'd be, you know, like OMD, Depeche Mode um, Alphaville, you know, these, these sorts of things anyway. Yeah. But Mike was in that group too. And then, um, it was really going to college and in some ways leaving behind serious piano playing and sort of wanting to be an instrumentalist and getting more into writing, just writing poetry and prose and stuff. And I'm an English lit major and, uh, you were the moody guy in the corner. Yeah. I mean, I was in the corner, but I mean, I spent some time in the corner, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, but we, but Sham and I hooked up living in the same boarding house and uh, he was a guitarist and I was, you know, wanting to write and, and getting more comfortable singing. And that core thing is, you know, exactly the same thing that led us to make this fourth record, you know, many, many years later. Yeah. So those are sort of the two tracks. One is like childhood friends. And then the other one is this writing partner who I found. And then the four of us are great, great friends and have been, uh, you know, during and after and again uh, related to the band. But, you know, beyond music, we're kind of lifelong friends. That's such a great story. That's a really, really nice story. <laughs> well, especially the moms being friends or the parents yeah, being that, friends. Yeah, that's what Holly relates to. <laughs> the, yeah. No, I mean, the kids are getting along. It's great. Oh, my God. Because yeah. then it usually fades out, right? You know, the friendship between the kids, you know, fades out. You kind of go your separate ways. Right. All from uh, Berkeley. Right. Yeah. So, so I grew up just a little bit North of Berkeley and um, knew the first two guys I mentioned, Mike and Aaron from school and, and the community. And then Sean's actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So he came to Berkeley for school and that was where we found each other. I I think I read in the, in your bio or you got, you kind of went your separate ways after the last album, you knew it was going to be your last album together. Yeah. You kind of had made that decision. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, Sean was moving on with his schooling and career and and the rest of us sort of were beginning to, we're a little behind him, but 
Yeah. And that, and that was just sort of a natural ending, you know, and, and we had this album going, we had a bunch of songs going and we just sort of wanted to button it up and finish it. That one was real quiet. I think it's actually, I mean, if I do say so myself, I think it's a pretty good record, but also we, you know, we didn't like, we played one show after that record and that was it. And, and actually it's crazy to me that we actually made a fourth album. Like that's actually, that was not the plan at all to make a fourth album. So yeah, I mean, I look back on that one fondly and then it makes me feel like, Oh, I'm looking back on the band fondly. And then I suddenly remember we also made a fourth album. We have an ending that wasn't an ending or we have had two beginnings or I don't know how to think about that, but. So hell hasn't frozen over for you yet. That's right. My arms are full of spears and blades. My heart hides knives and plans for raids. A strong enough God that I feel safe. A strong enough bill that I can see your face. But was it just too much of um, like jumping in the van and, and uh, you know, you're, you're in your mid twenties now and it's, it's another, another grind and we got to get to, you know, we got to get to Phoenix by uh, in 15 hours and. You know. Right. Right. Well, I suppose it's that, I mean, it's, it's also, I think, you know, we, we became sort of a functioning group, like you're describing a, a little cottage business sort of, and. Yeah, I think I think in some ways we just thought, okay, well we've 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 run our course and we we made some songs and and we moved on and um, and then I spent some time between you know that time and now you know writing my own stuff and playing a few little gigs here and there and but yeah I, I specifically felt like the the creative energy that I I get from this group and in particular working with Sham on on songs that that's the thing that lives on and is a passion of mine to this day is is the songs and we were very serious about the songs then but it also came with all of the the sort of striving and constant just sort of beating the drum to get the word out there and you know sell another hundred and you know get on another station and that kind of stuff and there is actually sort of a purity to just song making and and artifact making on this trip out too it sort of bled over into like video making and visuals Mm -hmm. and I mean, there's sort of freedom, I think, in the deconstruction of the way the music business works for people who are indie at this point, which is like, you kind of have to just reinvent it every couple of years is what I'm, I'm seeing. Uh, and I think I'm about to learn, you know, I'll probably have to reinvent just to, just to make the next record. But there's also like freedom in that, that there's, it's less systematic. I think that was actually a thing, like when you're describing like, you know, get to the next gig, you know, yeah. um, it became really systematic. And I think we picture that 
you know, that sort of 90s tour, that sort of pre, I think a pre and post grunge is, you know, both both had that like post-punk thing of like, go out there and like, you know, bring your music to the, to the people and do it yourself. And there is also a lot of structure actually to that, right? It was, it was independent, but it was very structured actually. So now I'm feeling very unstructured. It's a, well, the business itself is, is different now, I think, than, than back then. Oh, yeah. But also, you know, you're older and wiser. Yeah, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> yes. In spite of myself, it, I hope it's true. <laughs> How did you come back together musically? It was physical proximity in, in large part. I mean, I will say that, you know, there's sort of this fondness that's, you know, part nostalgia and part just personal connection that the band uh, has, has consistently shared. There's actually a trip I took out to New York with my family and we visited Sean. He was working in, in Manhattan then. We saw each other, you know, his four and my four and hung out a bit. And that was really nice. And then shortly thereafter, he came out here and said they were thinking about relocating to California. So they actually moved to Davis, which is probably 45 minutes north of here, I think around 2015. And so 2016-ish, we kind of actually settled into something of a writing pattern with each other. I mean, like these things start, they're like with anybody, right? It's like, oh, I've got half a song and you want to paddle it forward a little bit, or, you know, you've got a whole song, let's break it down and remake it, you know, together and those sorts of things. And, and then it was the song American Canyon, which the album uh, is of the same title where we really quite suddenly, like in one day, it felt like we sort of hit this vein of of words and sound and and energy that felt very authentic to us and also very different than anything we'd previously done and so that was sort of a galvanizing let's rally around this one and bring up the level of everything else we have cooking and then also write right forward thematically kind of from there and It came back together both organically and with discipline. I would say it was it was half and half. There is something there where we have chemistry, where where it's you know he he sees things differently, I see things differently, and then the pop song format is so small but deceptively simple. You sort of come up with all these tricks to freight you know four minutes with a little bit more resonance or a little bit more oblique information or to try to get reactions out of the person who's listening and I think that's where he and I kind of shine is that we each do really different things to achieve that same broad goal talking with Matt Easton of the Jenny thing we're going to take a break and we will be right back Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Matt Easton of The Jenny Thing. Where do you test out these tricks? What uh, Do you play it for your family? Because, I mean, you couldn't play it in 2020 that you couldn't take it out on the road. No, I, I mean, I, I think we just see what it what it does for us, honestly. But I'm very into the, like, you know, being emotionally moved and you don't know why and then sort of chasing that down, which is actually probably more just like feeling mm. than work. And like an album like this, we're, we're we're trying to write about some broader stories without addressing them in the words or or in the music. So the way I'd say it is each song is about an emotional pivot that works as like a love letter or as a, a you know, a manifesto or, or sort of stands alone. But it plugs into pivot points in almost like a secret story that that I have that helps me build the emotion behind it and like connect it to myself. But I also think when you just leave pivots for other people to listen to or join into project onto, they do the work of connecting to it. So it's that kind of personal universal effect you try to get, you know, you can't tell them how to feel. So it has to come. I mean, it has to be organic. Yeah. It, it has to be organic and authentic. And then it has to have enough like holes in the plot, enough space for them to bring their stuff to the plot. <laughs> so speaking of, of space, you got American Canyon. What is the idea behind the American Canyon? Yeah. So American Canyon is a, is a real place up here in Northern California between where Sham and I live. So he drives oh. down through it to come here. Um, and that's not particularly meaningful to us, the place itself, but the name we thought was just fascinating. And actually, while we were shooting the video for American Canyon, we found a place called California City, which is in the Mojave Desert. And yeah. it's not much. I mean, it's like <laughs> a couple horse ranches and you know a tumbleweed, but it's called California City. I think one thing I like about those is, is you can almost imagine a like a cartoon world where a filmmaker might name something that we all know and love 
differently, right? So it might be the Grand Canyon and they rename it American Canyon, or they might have LA and they call it California City. Yeah. And, and so somehow it feels like this wonky take on reality based on reality, but, but not real. So we were fascinated by that name and then named the song uh, American Canyon that the day of that we wrote it and then sort of chased that idea. But ultimately the, the album is about a place where there's a battle between the need to achieve to, uh, to sort of acquire your worthiness, to get ahead, to like beat other people, to become all that you need to be and to strive. And then there's another dream in the American Canyon that's about acceptance and you are already enough and you are worthy and you always were and you always will be and how these two things are in this sort of almost like this fight to the death you know behind the scenes or under the fabric of our lives and the way i say it in a way that i think makes people go from maybe how you're feeling right now which is okay that's a little weird but how often are these things that we've shouted at our own children or had or have had shouted at us both I love you. You're perfect. Don't go changing. And also like, get it together. You're about to fall off the wagon. And how is it that we are so comfortable with those really hard and fast um, value systems towards ourselves and towards others? And I, I think there, there's no like big riddle in it. It's, it's really that we have to deal with both. And, and that's just the way it is. American Canyon is about being defeated and being buried under rubble and also about blasting out of the rubble and surviving. And so it has a lot of architectural imagery about towers and walls and bridges falling and rocks splintering and, and all this stuff. And then it also says that I'm, I'm lifted up and, and that even as you're being beaten down, you're being lifted up. Can't hope another day I'll take grief's freedom Some of the, the writings on, about the album, they've called it cinematic. Were there any movies that you watched that uh, were inspiring for, for you? You know, like, I don't know. It sounds like Badlands or, or something, you know, like some 70s type uh, movies that yeah. they might have been watching. Not any specific movies, but I think you're on the right track for like what was, was in the imagination. I, I mean, I think of David Lynch for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and not any specific movies, but I, I just think he's really comfortable bringing an element in and then like sort of baking it in and not explaining it or even like not articulating it. It's almost like right. it's just a, a totem, like a reference point for him happens to show up in the movie mm -hmm. and you're, and you're like, I guess this guy needed this element to make this movie for us. And you can, you can either try to take all of it in or just take some of it in. And I, I think, you know, in the end, you get a four minute pop song, right? Mm -hmm. You listen to it, has a nice beat. You kind of go, oh yeah, you know, things aren't going well for this guy. And 
I kind of relate to it and like, oh, that was a weird phrase that just went by. That's intriguing. And then you hear a nice little guitar part and then the song's over, right? I would say that there's a filmic background that we're, we're bringing in in terms of like character or element or force that's written in. There's, um, there's one song that has spoken word, like a little script that I wrote and that mainly Aaron, the bassist carries. He has sort of the stentorian Shakespearean delivery. So he <laughs> plays the main character and, uh, and I play sort of like the, the trickster helper character. That one's actually built as like a soundtrack, right? It's actually supposed to feel as though you're in the aftermath of a battle and a, a, a little army of people is planning on how to get out and, and their dilemma. Lieutenant, they've just landed across the airfield. Faraday, thank God. We lost, we lost so many last night. So many, so fast. We'll lose all our light in a couple of hours. Sooner than that, with all the dust and smoke. Alive or dead, move as many as you can, as fast as you can, onto the lights. We'll be flying with the angels of the sky. If we go hard, we'll be within spitting distance of home in a day. Yeah, definitely a cinematic approach to sound and also creation. You also created some some artwork. I saw I watched the uh, the lyric video for Lightfield, and yeah. uh, apparently there's your name <laughs> as the, as the guy who created the the art for this uh, for this video. What is are you formally trained, or is this something that you've I'm kind one hundred percent not formally trained? Yeah, I worked with an animator who did all of the motion, but I created the the concept and the little flying car and and <laughs> and all of those elements. Um, and then I actually ended up doing the singles art for all of the singles for the album, which is super different from the art that actually goes on the album itself. Yeah. So there's, there's the hand-drawn world, the, the matte sort of primitive art. Mm-hmm. And then there's the album art, which I helped concept, but had like real people do beautiful photography and also really nice um, creature art. We have this sort of um, flying space sea urchin who's like the nemesis <laughs> of the of the hero of the story or you whenever whenever you switch between you know these ideas of of inherent worthiness and striving for worth the sea urchin flips to the opposite side of the table and and sort of fights you so it's it's this creature that will fight you no matter what you do and that appears on the album art then the third lane is the video uh, where this uh, for American Canyon and uh, the directors Ramesh Nicholas Iyer and he did this fantastic video super beautiful the record itself and the video I think are just really for me important uh, story artifacts and kind of they stand alone they work together it's really it's really going to be cool okay so the, the new the next single Paper Angel you, I think you described it as uh, Mick Jagger meets Lady Gaga please explain Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think I say those things when I'm um, about the way that I'm emoting when I'm singing. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I say that, I mean, like with, you know, with with Mick Jagger, I think I'm just sort of going for a little more nose in the vocal, you know, a little more <laughs> snarl. And then, you know, Gaga uses the low part. 
I mean, you could say Gaga or you could say Bowie, you know, mm. sort of like if you, if you just get comfortable with vibrato and a lot of support and sort of these big open notes as, as that you sort of stretch out to you sort of time stretch. Those are, those are the things I'm saying when I say, uh, <laughs> you know, Mick Jagger and Gaga, I'm not really trying to ape them specifically. Uh, I pulled up a couple YouTube videos of, of you guys on Star Search. Now, come on, what's what's happening? <laughs> tell tell us first of all, Ed McMahon introduces you, or f he throws it to Martha Quinn, who throws right. it to you guys. And that, right, <laughs> what is that? What was that like? Oh, it was great. I mean, it, you know, it's it was a it was a strange time. Like I, it, that was during the time that we were done with our second record. And humming and hawing about the third record, right? Our our, our would be last record, and um, it felt kind of random and off brand to be turning right. to Star Search, but they they sought us out. I mean, that, oh, that, really? that was the weird thing was they were so I think on this like Green Day Counting Crows thing, which you know at the time was sort of the, this was ninety four. Yeah, this was sort of the matrix uh, yeah. of Berkeley at the time, right? So they 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 roll into Berkeley. <laughs> go in, this this literally happened because the guy who worked at the store told me, but some producer from Star Search, like, you know, pulls up, double parks, walks into Rasputin's <laughs> records, which is, you know, sort of, sort of like, I mean, we have an amoeba also, but it's sort of like Rasputin's is our amoeba. Mm -hmm. Amoeba is your amoeba, right? And pops into Rasputin's, says, hey, what indie bands are big here? And they say, well, the Jenny thing is sold the most indie, you know, is the biggest indie seller of the year here, which actually they hadn't told us. We went back and checked and it was true. So this guy, I, I don't remember what his name was, but anyway, this, this guy then just calls me up and says, I'm, I'm from star search. We want to get you guys on the show. And I think it was like an answering machine. It says, which one of my friends is this? right. Plus yeah, 94, there's no cell phones. So he calls your landline on. Well, there, there also was no star search. They actually had sort of died once already. Yeah, and, I did. And the Martha Quinn thing was sort of this like rejuvenation attempt and, you know, and of course that whole sort of blender eventually bat out American Idol or something, mm -hmm. right? America's Got Talent or what, whatever it was that started the new era. This was almost like the last gasp of the old old era. But anyway, so, so we ended up on there and, and we just kind of did it because it was big and we were sort of bored and it was just like weird and entertaining. But we went and it was very fun to meet Martha Quinn. And she and I actually had this sort of run-in actually about like uh, you were talking about being moody in the corner earlier <laughs> i think i must have been really moody and really in the corner that day and she said something while we were getting like b-roll footage something like he's kidding right guys <laughs> so something like that and and i was uh, and i'm usually in very good humor i don't think i i'm extraordinarily thin-skinned but that day i sure was and i really was like 
I was pissed. It was, it, it was, it was like, how dare you? Like, you know, that's so 94, just grunge, <laughs> just a grunge attitude. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But you're not case, sure you want to be on star search. Well, I think that that was there too. And, <laughs> and also we had had a lot of conversations about like, no, we would like to play live and no, we want to do everything live. Their, their whole thing was yeah. pre-record it. Mm -hmm. And then they said, okay, well, pre-record the instruments and you can sing live. And then it was like, no, we're going to do the whole thing live. And we did, but it was like through insistence. Wow. Good for you guys. Did. So you're yeah. really feeling sort of like both like, boy, this isn't our place and we're having to stick to our guns, but why, you know, anyway, so she made this comment. I was really irritated and we got back together and talked and she eventually, we, we were hanging around Disneyland and stuff. So we had to go to her trailer and Oh, that's where I was wondering where Pleasure Island was. I was, I was like, is yeah, that yeah, a, Pleasure Island. Is that, that's an old part of Disney world that got taken away. Oh, okay. it, was like a, it was like adult Disney world. Like See, it had like, had like six nightclubs and like this outdoor stage. <laughs> it was actually strangely a little bit cool. It was, it was sort of Vegasy. anyway. Funny. So, so uh, yeah, anyway, but I wrote a song called Martha on the last album uh, about that. Did you, and sort uh, of about, you know, over seriousness and, uh, I think I just kind of stayed with the over seriousness theme on that, but it's called Martha and it, it's actually one of our most, we've, we've gotten a lot of cure comments over the years. And we, um, especially when we were really guitar based, we, mm. we love the cure and that song really, you know, we, we definitely are like wearing our cure on our sleeve on that one. And, and they got four and a half stars. Roger McGuinn was one of the judges. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, yes, yeah. although I saw you were in trouble in the second week because I saw that um, who it was Steve Allen was a judge. And like, oh, there's no way that they and, did well. And, in and the, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you, you nailed it. The skinny slash body language slash some actual comments. Those two guys respectively really liked us and really didn't like <laughs> it was it was those guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, it was great to talk to you and, and meet you. And, yeah, nice uh, to meet you, Holly. Really nice to meet you and listen to a whole lot of good music preparing for this. It was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Too. Take care, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks. So that was cool. Talking with Matt Easton of the Jenny thing and learning all about what goes on with a band that has broken up and then comes back together again. That was the, great to hear the history of the Jenny thing and the road to reforming. Holly and I watched the the video for their single. American Canyon? Yes. American Canyon, also the name of their album. I would suggest checking out the video. It's kind of, it's very cool. How do you find us on YouTube? It's very easy to find us. If you go to YouTube, you can find the What Difference Does It Make podcast. We have our very own channel and you'll find other behind the scenes little nuggets. So subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, have some fun. Wonderful. 
Another good episode, Holly. Congratulations. Thank you, Dave. And congratulations to you, too. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Well, we'll do this again next week. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.